today on This Christian Life. When you get in over your head and you, you can't find an answer yourself, when you get down that situation and you know you're helpless and you're with your six-year-old and you can't help them, that is uh, the worst feeling as a dad. You know, the worst feeling period is you're completely helpless at that point and who are you going to turn to? I mean, you, you have to pray. I mean, the only person that can save you is God. Meet Brandon, our storyteller for today. Brandon is a man who followed his son into a pit and got in way over his head. Now we've all found ourselves stuck in a pit of despair, but God always gives us a way out. But in this particular pit, it was a life or death situation. Did you grow up on a farm? Yeah, my parents have always farmed. I was driving a tractor when I was six and seven, you know. We have uh, about 130 head of cattle, about 4,000 acres. Wow. I wanted to actually not go to school and just start helping my dad right out of high school. And he basically told me, no, you were going to go to school and get an education. She so had something to fall back on. He was right. I have still have something to do part time when it's slow around here in between haying or whatnot. I'm pretty thankful uh, for that. Maybe grow up a little quicker than I might have otherwise, but. It's uh, fun and I enjoy the uh, aspect of farming where you get to do something kind of different every day and it's a challenge. So uh, getting back into it's pretty exciting. I was working full time as a pharmacist. I've cut back part time and decided I needed to uh, farm a little more so I could involve the boys more and uh, spend some quality time with them. They like to explore and they're not scared of much, honestly. It's almost kind of scary. The youngest uh, Everett, who is now four, he loves to mess around with snakes. That's about one thing that I just don't handle well. So uh, he did not get that from me. <laughs> I have a daughter too, who's not even three yet. And um, she has almost no fear unless it's like a bug that lands on her. Oh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I kind of get a kick out of watching my boys play, especially when they're trying to jump those hay bales. So I'm usually trying to record something because I have caught some hilarious stuff. They'll try to jump one that's a little too far for them. And by the time you catch that, it's, it's pretty hilarious. So um, tell me a little bit about what you guys were doing and kind of what happened at the beginning of that day. I got to pick them up that day. It was in the afternoon, and typically my 14-year-old Quentin would be with me. Uh, however, a buddy had asked him to go golfing with him. It was such a nice day. So he just said, Dad, do you care if I go golfing instead of coming with you? And I said, oh, yeah, that's fine. I took the boy and said, well, we're going to go up to the cows. I actually stopped at my mom's on the way and said, well, do you do you want to go? And uh, she said, oh, no, I'm just going to stay around the house. And we weren't planning on having quite that experience. It was really just going to be kind of simple. We're going to set out some mineral in the uh, mineral feeders and make sure, you know, the oilers on top of the mineral feeders were full of oil. So uh, insecticide, it helps keep flies out of the cow's eyes when they eat that mineral. You know, something pretty simple, and I didn't want the boys in the lot, so I just said, play on the hay bales while I run right out here. They were. They're good boys. He was teaching his boys everything he knew about how to farm. But sometimes, lessons come when you least expect them. So anyway, that's exactly what I was doing that day, and that's kind of how that day started. And, um, and what I did, you know, I drove out there, shut the four-wheeler off. I could hear him the whole time, and cows are coming in to get water. And, of course, if you're messing around up there, they like to come check you out, so... I just keep them out of the lot. Um, as I was coming back out of the lot with four wheeler, I opened the gate and the boys kind of ran off the hay bales, run over to the gate to meet me, which isn't far. It's like 15 yards maybe. 
and they were getting a drink out of the water hydrant because I had the water on. I was filling the tanks, but it's loose, so it, it squirts a little. It you know has a little tiny spray, and they were both trying to get a drink out of that little spray out of the hose. And uh, as I happened to look over my shoulder, trying to get back on the four-wheeler, I noticed like there was just one boy. Everett turned around and uh, his face said it all. And I'd never seen that face on him because he's not one to get scared, you know. He might get mad, but that face, his lip, his eyes, like I just knew something was wrong. So I ran over there, you know, and uh, I wasn't very far. Seemed like it took me about three steps to run over there, but I'm sure it was more like 10. But uh, anyways, I asked Everett, I said, Everett, what's wrong? And he said, uh, Louie fell in the hole, he pointed down to that well. It was a hole not much bigger than the size of a basketball. You know, I believed my three-year-old, but I didn't want to believe him, I guess. So I, I immediately got my head down right next to that hole and was trying to listen. You know, I couldn't see a thing because it was pitch black down there. That time of day, you can't see anything really down there. You can just see the first 10 foot maybe down that well, and uh, that's it. It's complete darkness after that. He must have been under the water, and uh, it went like two seconds, I bet. And then all of a sudden, I just heard a splash. He was struggling to get to the top of the water. And then I heard uh, him cough or gasp, you know, to, to clear his lungs. And at that point, you know, I just, there was no thinking. Um, pretty frightening. And at that moment, I just felt like, um, I don't know if he's injured. It, it sounded to me like he was drowning and, and I had seconds to get to him. So I literally just jumped. There are no words to explain the love that a parent has for a child. Brandon didn't fall into that well. He dove willingly. He was willing to sacrifice his life to risk everything just so that his son might live. I remember free falling thinking, wow, I should have hit the water by now. And immediately, you know, I just got like scared, like, man, I'm, I don't know how far I'm going. I'm going to kill my son, you know, if, if I land on him. So I was trying to grab anything I could. And, and as my eyes adjusted, I could see the bricks on the wall and I could see the pipe going down to the well motor. Basically, I used it as a fireman's pole. You know, I just I, I was able to grab a hold of it. It was difficult. It was kind of burning my hands as I tried to grasp it, stop. And eventually I, I got myself stopped. And when I looked up, I was in complete awe and um, disbelief. I was so far already, I, I assume I was 40 foot down that well. Now at that point I thought maybe if I had to, you know, I could climb out. And at that moment, as all of these thoughts were going through my head, that was enough time for Louie to clear his lungs and he just started screaming. He said, Daddy, help, Daddy saved me. And he just kept, repeating that you know and he was in so much distress you know all I could say was Louie I'm coming he was extra scared because I had blocked all the light that he was getting so I would just let go of that pole and drop 10-15 feet and I did that three different times and it seemed like every time I'd stop he would just scream and you can't look down when you're going down the well. There's just not enough room if you're holding on to that pole. You couldn't see anything anyway. So the last 20 foot of that pole was, I don't know if it was wet from condensation or Louis splashing the water up from the well. But regardless, it was so slick. Um, I couldn't hold myself anymore. I just slid down that pole. All I wanted at that point was to get to my son. And at that point, it feels like you're going to fall off the face of the earth. 
I can remember hitting the water and it was such a refreshing feeling, but it was so cold, like, but I knew I was at the bottom. And then I was able to grab Louie and uh, the first thing he said to me was, Daddy, thank you for saving me. I, I love you. And, uh, you know, I just threw him up on my chest. He kind of climbed up on my shoulder and he was shivering. He's kind of sensitive to cold anyways. Just so thankful to be there at that moment to be able to comfort him. He's like, okay, Dad, um, go ahead. You can pull us out. And I said, no, no, Louie. I said, uh, I can't pull us out. He goes, yes, you can. I said, no, Daddy, Daddy can't. And um, the next question he led him to was, uh, well, how are we going to get out of here? I said, um, your brother Everett's going to have to run to the road and he's going to have to uh, get somebody. I don't think he liked that answer, but, you know, that was our only option at that point because I had already pulled my phone out as I had him on my chest because I remembered it was in my back pocket. It was completely soaked, but it was still on. I can remember, you know, my hands were wet, of course, and I couldn't get anything to work. And when I finally did, I mean, I didn't have any recession, but I thought, you know, you just keep trying. You just keep trying. At that point, my three-year-old up there at the time, Everett, you know, he was like, Dad, are you okay? And I said, yes, Everett, I, I'm okay. I'm down here with Louie. And uh, I somehow lost my ball cap. I don't know if I flipped it off when I was trying to listen down that hole and look or if it actually fell off when I jumped in. But either way, the very next thing Everett said after he asked if I was okay was, uh, I got your hat. You know, I was like, well, that's, that's wonderful. And I said, Everett, he said, yeah, Dad. I said, you're going to have to run to the road and stand by the mailbox, and not on the road, but you stand by the mailbox and you wave at everybody that drives by until somebody stops so they can get us out of this well. I said, you have to be a big boy and go do this to help us. And uh, he said, okay. And he didn't say anything for 10 minutes or so. It was quite a stretch the entire time we were down that well. You know, Louie and I were making small talk, just as much for myself, I suppose, as it was him uh, trying to comfort him. And he says, well, how's, how's Everett going to get somebody? I said, well, we're just going to have to, God's going to save us. That's the only thing that's going to get us out of this well, Louie. I said, there's nothing else. I said, we're just going to pray. There's, there's not much else we can do. We did a, a fair amount of praying. You know, we just continued to pray. I was just trying to comfort my boy, you know, and did not show him that I was a bit scared or fearful. You know, the last thing I wanted him to do is to be worried. Because at this whole point, you know, he hadn't even cried yet. You know, you could tell he was obviously scared when I got down there. But I, I you know, did what any dad would do and comforted him and reassured him that we were going to make it out of there. But honestly, I was terrified that maybe nobody would drive by and my three-year-old would be standing out there in the dark somewhere or, uh, you know, worse yet, he, he couldn't get in the pickup. And, um, you know, we might be sitting there all night. And, and honestly, I don't know. I don't know how that would have worked out. And uh, he, he eventually he comes back and he says, Daddy? you still in the hole? And I said, yes. I said, I'm still in the hole. Did you get somebody to stop? And he said, they're not coming. I didn't know what he meant. Like, they're not coming. Like, I don't know if somebody's not driving by or if somebody drove by and didn't stop because all those thoughts are running through your head. I was worried about Everett along the road. And I was worried about us not getting out. You know, at no point was I ever really worried about uh, me. I just wanted these two boys to be safe but it wasn't very long after that and um, that's when the real uh, I've, I've heard them called the angels of 275 and I'm a huge believer in that these people are wonderful people our neighbors all of them but uh, Mark and Christy McKinney they're the ones that stopped when they saw Everett 
you know, they just saw him and they knew that a three-year-old should not be standing next to the highway. And so they pulled in, um, asked, you know, you know, what are you doing or where's your daddy? And um, he said, my daddy's in a hole. I guess they drove into the driveway and Christy asked every, okay, show me where your daddy is. And he pointed to the well. And I guess, you know, her husband was driving. He immediately jumped out of the truck and called 911. And then I can remember him yelling down in the hole, is anybody down there? And I said, yes. I said, I'm, I'm down here. I said, my boy fell in the well and I, I had to come down here and try to help him. He said, okay, we're going to get you some help. I can remember hearing the vehicle start coming in. It sounded like, you know, one of those uh, classic cars or something. And I just remember being so thankful. I just kind of got a little emotional. And Louie must have sensed that. He says, Dad, are you crying? And I said, uh, no. I said, this is just my happy laugh. I was getting pretty emotional. I was just so thankful. Psalms 105.1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. So, yes, they got there and they were able to tie the knot in it and um, told them to go ahead and pull them up. And at this point, you know, there was a lot of commotion and loose kind of banging off the sides of the wells. I'm watching them go up and uh, the electrical cords that go down to the motor, you know, not the, not the pipe that carries the water, but the wires that go down to run the motor. He got wrapped around them somehow as he was bouncing going up. I told him, whatever you do, don't let go of that rope in front of you. Uh, it's, it's wrapped around your arms, but I don't want you to let go of the rope. And he didn't. He ended up getting a punctured lung, and he was kind of bruised, you know, real bruised from the electric cords around his wrist and some on his back. And I'm not sure how much of that was from the fall, but, you know, when he got out, they cut the wires off of him, were able to pull him the rest of the way out. They threw him in a pickup truck with some hoodies and, and warmed him up. So they sent the rope back down and kind of created a hoist out of the old windmill and um, a brace pipe. And uh, they were able to basically, uh, all five of them were able to pull me out. And I remember just being so exhausted when I knew like we were out and Louie was all right. You know, you have so much adrenaline running through you. You just don't realize like you're tired or you're that cold or anything. But, um, you know, I didn't stop shaking for the next hour. And like I said, I don't know how much of that was adrenaline. I, I'm sure quite a bit of it was, but uh, my whole body was just shaking. It took a small army to rescue Brandon and Louie. And Brandon remembers them all. Sometimes we take our neighbors and first responders for granted. A life or death situation will change all that. You know, looking around in the next couple minutes, you know, there were so many vehicles, first responders, you know, firemen, local firemen that showed up. And I was just so thankful, you know, that everybody cared that much to pitch in and, you know, such a wonderful show of, you know, care. And it, it never ceases to amaze me uh, the kind of people that uh, live in this community. And, and, and I'm sure that's everywhere, but, um, you know, it really gets highlighted in a situation like that. Everybody pretty well just drops what they're doing and comes and does whatever they can. And I'm extremely thankful. I mean, our prayers were answered. It's hard to imagine how this isolated farm incident out in the middle of nowhere would eventually help others. But Brandon knew that his experience had the potential of saving hundreds of lives. So for those who may not know, can you describe what like what this well looked like? What a capped one should look like? 
these old wells, this was a hand dug well, so it's lined with bricks on the inside. It's about two, maybe two and a half feet in diameter. What you'll typically find if you're lucky enough, the old windmill's still there. I mean, that's a pretty good indication that there's a hole underneath that windmill. So that's what I've taught our boys. You see that, you stay away. Unfortunately, so many times the windmills blow over, farmers take them down or whatnot. And, and so you may just have the concrete pad or you may not even have that. You may just have the bricks coming up to the top of the ground. And farmers use uh, boards or old tin from a roof off a barn or something. And, you know, there might be a hydrant sticking out of the ground next to it with some cylinder blocks on it, which, you know, it's all susceptible to rust and decay. And it's not um, something that's going to last forever. I've heard stories of people walking through the timber, you know, whatever, whatever they're doing, hiking or whatever, and fall into a hole, you know, and happen to catch themselves. You know, they're, they're literally just like invisible, especially if they're not active. And, you know, I can remember after it happened, I just felt so fortunate that I didn't want to waste this opportunity. I felt called to do something with it. And um, turns out, you know, I started getting a call here or there. It was actually on U.S. Farm Report because it's such a great story. Not only are we getting to several people, but we're getting to the right people. You know, they're actually capping these wells. It's just so wonderful to hear that that's what's going on. Maybe one of these days we can get a program going to uh, support people that find out they've got wells on their land that uh, want help capping them, because I think that would be a wonderful thing to do and uh, obviously save a lot of heartache and save a life. That was the point, and we're getting there. Brandon says that he didn't deserve to be saved any more than those who had suffered worse tragedies. But when God, the omniscient, omnipresent, eternal creator of all things, chose to rescue him, Brandon's response was gratitude and amazement. Now, did Brandon fully understand what God was doing that day? No, but that didn't matter. He didn't have to understand. He knew that God showed him amazing grace, and he just had to tell others what God did for him. When you get in over your head and you can't find an answer yourself, when you get down that situation and you know you're helpless, that is uh, the worst feeling as a dad. You know, you're completely helpless at that point, and who are you going to turn to? I mean, you have to pray. I mean, the only person that can save you is God. There's always a bigger picture. There's always a purpose. You know, that's why He sees everything and we don't. There was a reason that uh, we were put there that day, and everything happened for a reason, and you can't Mark that as coincidence. I mean, that was God. Everybody kind of questions who was the hero that day. Could have been my three-year-old, could have been uh, my six-year-old, could have been everybody that helped rescue us. There wasn't one part in that whole story you could have left out. It took all those things for that to come out positive. I know there are non-believers out there that are hearing this story. Oh, you know, maybe they could have done it. And honestly, I don't think it could be done again twice. (laughs) So, I mean, without the help of God, you know. That was the most, you know, powerful experience I probably ever had personally. You know, he is good. I'm lost for words. I just, it's, it's unbelievable. Some people are gifted with that ability to uh, share the gospel with others, and I'm not extremely talented at that. I, I definitely didn't see myself carrying this message, but it's just not that good. I haven't had that much practice, but I guess this is what God dealt me. You know, He believes that I can do this, so I, I feel like. Um, you know, we are any more deserving as a family than, you know, all these other tragedies that happened. So I received a gift that I could never repay. And to sit here and do nothing with it would be criminal. 
Bible says in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. That gift, salvation, God's rescue plan. You were in a pit without any means of climbing out, and God himself, Jesus Christ, came down into your darkness and sacrificed himself to save you. 1 Peter 2.9 says, God has brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We were blind, but now we see. We can't just sit there doing nothing. We have to tell others about the amazing gift, the amazing grace of this Christian life. This Christian Life is a production of Family Stations Incorporated and is not affiliated with Christian Life Magazine or Plus Communications Incorporated. Family Radio.